0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 345, the head of one of the world's biggest publishers
1: says
2: <sighs> Epics are stupid. Is she right?
1: The imbecilic self-entitlement of some premiership footballers and <laughs> when celebrity endorsed yogurt goes sour. <laughs> oh it's all coming up
2: after garbage and special.
1: I do, I do like it when Wiki gives a kind of a, a subtle burn on various things. So it describes it as a moderate hit in the United Kingdom and mm. Australia in October 1998. Um, I think that's terrific. It came from their album, uh, Version 2.0, um, or 2.0, however you want to pronounce that. It came out in October 1998 as a single. Um, It, it says again on Wiki, I do like how Wiki plays mm. things with a straight bat, it gained much attention in the music press upon the 1998 release of Version 2.0 as it contained a vocal instrument interpolation of a lyric taken from talk of the town by the pretenders and actually I really like that they've done that because mm. it does acknowledge that it really does have a huge kind of the pretenders have a huge influence I think over this it really does have that lovely pop sheen with a slightly husky vocal that they that they often did so uh, so that was Shirley Manson leading garbage through special and
2: it is it is terrific as you say but I'm often surprised I've mentioned this before I'm often surprised to look back and recall how many hits a band of accrued at, yes. 16 16 UK top 40 singles for Garbage, which, I must say, really surprised me. I didn't realise it was that many. I was going to say, I, mean, mm.
1: I really like Garbage, and I could probably, I would struggle to name more than about six, I would yeah, say, I, and, I, I, and actually me, me naming six is probably the high end of the sort of, the high watermark, isn't it, on people people being able to to name Garbage songs that aren't actually huge Garbage fans. I I always um, enjoyed Shirley Manson's contributions to public life. Mm. I um, I had a friend that worked for... I think she might have been a freelance or press association or something in the 90s and 2000s, and she said that whenever you had to go and do one of those kind of junkets, like a film premiere or something, (laughs) or the MTV Awards, you would always, always make a beeline for Shirley Manson if you saw her, because all you'd need to do is put out a tape recorder in front of her and say, Hi, Shirley, you having a good night? And she'd go, Oh, yeah, it's great. I went to the Scottish accent. I've just seen Bono. He looked like Jesus in a leather jacket. And you'd go, Thanks, Shirley! And then take your quote and pop off and see the next person. So give her 10 seconds. And she always gave you a quote.
2: Excellent. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode three hundred and forty-five. I'm Terence Stackham, and but soft, what light through yonder window <laughs> breaks? It is the East, and Juliet is the sun. And <laughs> yes, that light through yonder window—it's Juliet Harris.
1: That is me. Oh, Juliette Harris. Thank you very much for, as ever, a very a very refined and restrained introduction.
2: Jules, I hope I'm never too old to learn, and I've listened carefully when you've praised the spirit of independent record stores in, in towns, so and I've noticed you seem to get um, satisfaction, perhaps more satisfaction, when buying a record, when you've actually gone to a shop and yes. bought it yourself rather than buy it online. Well, a few days ago... One of my friends gave me a book recommendation, Mm. and most people that know me are aware I hardly read any fiction other than P.G. Woodhouse, and that I like diaries and Mm. biographies, autobiographies. So my friend told me that one of his favourite diaries was a compendium, a sort of greatest hits, from Mm. the Diaries of Virginia Woolf. It's called A Moment's Liberty, The Shorter Diary. And you see, uh, I've,
1: not read, I've read a lot of books about hmm. Virginia Woolf, but I haven't actually read this, so I will make a note of that. Go and buy it.
2: Well, he, he described it, um, my partner described it as having a gem on every page. So True. I'm looking forward to it. That's a to, good recommendation. To, uh, it, it is. Now, in the spirit of your, you know, by local method, I went to the high street of a, of a decent-sized town in Surrey, and mm-hmm. as I was parked not far from W.H. Smith, I thought I'd try them first, without much hope, I have to say, because, to be fair, Virginia Woolf and W.H. Smith you know, they seem unlikely <laughs> bedfellows, but you know. I
1: do slightly. It is this a recently published book, may I
2: ask? Uh, no, it's no, it's not. But it's. And
1: it's, this, this I, I suspect, I suspect this is the, wherein lies the trouble. But carry on.
2: Absolutely, but it has been reprinted. It's very, very oh, okay. popular. It was originally published, I think, about 1990. So it's quite right, elderly, okay. but right. reprinted through to, th- because of its success. Elderly, well,
1: but not vintage. But anyway, do <laughs> carry on.
2: A bit like myself. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> quite. The, the, this into W. H. Smith. I've never seen a more chaotic and badly Mm -hmm. organised book section. The non-fiction area was largely TV personalities and ghost-written books, sports, men and women. But here's the thing they weren't in alphabetical order none of the books were in alphabetical mm. almost all the books in this branch were randomly thrown on the shelves and most of them looked like, like, looked like they hadn't had any sort of acquaintance with a duster for some considerable mm. time and the only staff member in the whole store seemed to be on the till the checkout so i gave up on w h mm. smith okay now in this upmarket surrey did town did you have a
1: waterstones you could try in this well, town well
2: how funny you should say that mm. because in this this Posh town of Surrey. Mm. Much to everyone's amazement, a new bookshop opened a couple of months ago. Almost right, unprecedented. Who? Nobody's opening bookshops these days. But now this is this is absolutely peculiar. It's funny you mentioned it. It looks like an indeben- independent independent
1: mm, bookshop. Yes, they but do this now. Too.
2: Do they? Because it's frontage doesn't have the company name um it, no. it doesn't appear anywhere uh, but, but I thought from the layout I thought this feels like a Waterstone. so I did some mm. research it is a Waterstones yes, as you they said. do
1: that now it's a bit like when Starbucks did those pretend non-Starbucks mm. for a while uh, a former acquaintance shall we say of mine mm. um, who works for Waterstones um was placed in um so a new bookshop opened in Rye there used to be an excellent mm. bookshop in Rye for the Martello bookshop and we were all amazed at how long it kept going really the couple that ran it became L. the woman became a bit ill and there was less and less stock on the shelves when he went in and they were obviously Mm. running it down which was a shame because it was a lovely little bookshop and eventually it, it reopened and we were all surprised and it reopened as the Rye Bookshop and it all looked very good and it looked like a, like an independent bookshop. But like you, I started to fall in with a familiarity mm. of layout, a familiarity of stationery that was there. And then unfortunately, I learned from this acquaintance who had been sent to work in there um, seconded from her usual job in Hastings Waterstones. She describes it as the Sneakers and Waterstones. And unfortunately, they do this. They do hide themselves. The hide uh, I, it's really odd. I don't know what the rationale is behind it, but they, they I don't know, but it's like I say, it's like Starbucks. They kind of pretend mm. they have some outlets, but they pretend to be sort of something they're not, really.
2: Well, the, unfortunately, the, what happened was, it, it was a question of, here we go again. The, the, the ambience mm-hmm. and the lighting was lovely, I have to say, yeah. but almost no staff, and once again, a haphazard approach to alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. A valiant search by me showed one biography of Virginia Woolf, nothing else, certainly no diaries of. So here's my point. I came home, went online yeah. to, to, for, you know, to, the, well, to Amazon, and I ordered it and it arrived um, a day later. And now I would have said... This is why people are turning to ebooks and Kindles and Nooks. But then I read an interview this week with Arno Nuri, chief executive of mm. Achette Books, in which he described ebooks as a stupid product. <laughs> and he goes on to highlight limitations of the ebook. For, but but uh, there we are, Jules. I tried to follow your example to shop in mm, the high well, street. I'm it was that hopeless. You cried. Hopeless. Well, I'm going back to the comfort of my online world.
1: Well, there is a there is a forgive me for sounding like the uh quote unquote blair eyed scum <laughs> that I are <increasing> <laughs> nowadays, but there is a third way in oh here, Lord. Terrence. Yes. So what I used to find be? this I don't want to I don't want to indulge Amazon's poor quality tax practices, mm. etc., online. Um but equally like you and if this was particularly relevant when I worked in Lewis, I used to find you know, there were a couple of record shots, one sadly now closed, but there was a lovely one called Octave, and I used to go in there, and I remember saying once, have oh, we got this album? And they said, no, but we can order it in for you. And no. I said, oh, so I'll come and get it. And they said, yeah, we'll order it in. We'll text you when it's in and you can come and pick it up. So I did that because I reasoned that mm. they said oh, it would be a couple of days. It did, It wasn't very long. It only took a couple of days because they get deliveries two or three times a week. And they said, we'll order it for you through our wholesaler and you can come in and get it. So I might have had to have waited an extra day compared mm. to Amazon, but it mm. came in pretty quickly. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to wait for this to arrive in the post from Amazon, I'd much rather pop pop out during my lunch hour and grab this from this shop and do it to keep them going. And actually, you can do something called Hive online where it's delivered to a local bookshop. Mm. Um, I... Yeah, I like you. No, that's it sound
2: is, advice, actually. That's yeah, good. Yeah.
1: And, and actually, yes, I know it's terribly annoying when you can't buy the thing that you want instantly. But equally, if you are going to go online and order it, why not go to a local shop and get them to order it in for you? And Waterstones do do that. And I've always, uh, mm. not that, you know – I know Waterstones is still a chain book shop. But, you know, you can mm. get shops to, and, and, and record shops and all sorts of shops obviously not with second-hand vinyl but say cds for example and things like that you can get them to order them in and i do think actually when it comes to waterstones yes you could argue that their practices have widespread ramifications for mm-hmm. the publishing industry in the publishing industry not none of them particularly good but having said that i do think well compared to these huge conglomerates like amazon who's alongside their shady tax practices mm-hmm. we're now seeing more and more things about the horrible working conditions of their warehouses and how they just treat people like human garbage really and i i've gone past the point where i want to indulge that any more than i really have to so so as far as i'm concerned people like waterstones are very much the lesser of two evils in an ideal world you go to a nice independent bookstore and buy and buy it um but you know i would say try and order it in you know don't don't quite give up Mm. on i know it is annoying if you have to make two journeys but having said that i i don't know i feel ethically it's for me it's important to try and do that so that's how i would do it when it comes to ebooks um I, uh, I move back to, um, I, it's not often that I quote Addicts James and Blair approvingly, mm. but I will quote mm. him here years ago. Um, he did say, and I know this isn't entirely relevant, but I think it's relevant to this mm. a bit. He did say in Select, I think it was, in the late 90s, books are the future because you can't smell the internet. Mm. And actually, this is one of the reasons why I like records so much, much to your confusion. Mm. <laughs> I love having something to hold. And also, I love something with age to it. I buy lots of second-hand books. I've been collecting Orange Penguins originals for... Oh, lovely, yes. ...for since I was, you know, for, Mm. I don't know, 17 years, 18 years. I remember as as a sick former going to... Again, we went to Rye, I think, and I found... A book on a book on Russian history, an orange penguin, and put it this way: it was published in 1941, so it stopped just <laughs> as Russia entered the Second World War. It's the ultimate cliffhanger, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah. I remember having it, it. It smelt. It was very mm. old and it smelled. And I also bought quite a stinky piece of brie that day, because I was obviously going <laughs> with a potential middle-class teenager phase, so insisted on buying old penguin Russian history books, being, you know, having communist pretensions, and with the emphasis on pretensions back then, and, and a piece of, you know, that foreign cheese. And I remember arriving home with this carrier bag that just, it smelled like hell, basically. Mm. There's no other way to put it. And because it was the winter and it was so cold, I put it, I wasn't allowed to take it into, a house, into the house, so I put put it in our shed and because the shed was so cold it acted like a fridge and then we had the cheese at Christmas about a week later I think and the smell had gone off enough on the book by then for me to be allowed to bring it in but I'm a huge Mm -hmm. fan of books and the portable people go oh you know um oh, the good thing about e-books is that they're portable. Yes, so are books. You know, you can put them in your handbag or your man bag. I'm sure being the immaculately groomed, groomed mm. smart individual, you have a man bag or such simple portable carrier. You can you can put them in things and carry them around. And I, find, I just find e-books to be... As someone that's trying to reduce their phone use, I Mm. just find them to be another screen to stare at, really, and they kind of take the magic away a bit, I think, really. And also, I was talking with my friend Grace, and we were in an excellent bookshop, I can't remember the name, sadly, in Chalton in Manchester recently, and we had a lovely time looking around, and we said it still goes with the case when you look at the bookshelves, it is the cover that that makes the difference, you know, sort of 80% Mm. of the time. And actually, I've found, like records as well, I've found a lot of my favourite things, my favourite books, by total accident, by just going into Waterstone, or wherever I'm thinking or even a charity shop or a second hand book and thinking, I'd like to buy a book today and just seeing what looks good on the cover, what looks you know, what looks fun. I, you know, that, that looks like the sort of thing I'd be interested in. I I hate the idea of losing the accidental discovery by wanting an ebook you know ordering an ebook ordering off amazon you know i i, I do like a browse because mm. when you have a browse not a web browse but you know an, an irl browse because when you do actually have a browse <laughs> around a shop you often end up finding things that you don't you know you weren't necessarily looking for but but add great enhancement to your life
2: I've, I've confessed before that although i access all my music digitally these days almost exclusively through streaming i do miss the old style cardboard sleeves and the fact that the design really? gave each record an individual feel and character and it was great fun reading and the, the, the sleeve notes and the lyrics. And I agree, um, it is the same with books. There is a definite something about the feel and smell of a new book actually holding it in your hands. But I just want to have a throw in a butt here. One of the Ooh. great things about e books like Kindle is that they're really good for people with disabilities or the elderly and yeah, my it's okay, my, yeah. my mother uh, due to her age, she finds it quite hard to hold a proper book for any length of time. Mm, oh, okay, yeah. And you know, she had much to it. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm making you feel guilty here because you know, I know this is a special special case, but she had no. But there's
1: definitely a function there's there. There's a function. I think, yeah. Like
2: yeah much to her sadness, she'd you know given up on reading books because she couldn't hold them in her hands for length of time. But bingo, I bought her the lightest ebook reader I could find, and she absolutely loves it. She can adjust uh, the size of print, you know, which of course you can't do with a with paper, so that it's easier for her to read and uh, as a result you know she spends a good hour or, or two a day with Maeve Binchy and Rosamund well, Pilchard. I or well I think
1: that's great Well, So, so, mm. I do so they, they have do a have place
2: a, but yeah. Yeah they have a
1: place but I don't think they should be the place mm. if you see what I mean and but, actually interestingly mm. sales have fallen in enormous in enormous numbers yeah, so maybe I'm not that, the only yeah. person that feels like this Yeah, according mm. to this um, this article with the the hatchet quotes mm. in it it says here um do 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 um, that um, according to figures from the Publishers Association, the consumer e-book sales in the UK fell in 2015 and 2016 mm. from a high in 2014. That was the year that Hatchet and Amazon came to blows over e-book pricing with the publishing giant refusing to cede price control to the online bookseller. And it is it, interesting. It says here the e-book has um, – People have to pay a price that is about 40% lower than the print price, and it works. The e-book has gone down a little bit, not much, from, say, 25 to 20% in some countries. I, I do think that, that I don't think books, hard copy books will go. And actually, mm. it's interesting that I know that lots of people, including me, take the mickey out of hipsters for their embracing of, you know, of of uh, apparently redundant products. Um, Viewmasters are very big now, apparently, oh, in the hipster community. Oh, I know Polaroid cameras yeah. and 35mm cameras making a huge comeback. Um, you know, obviously, cassettes are making a comeback now as well. And all sorts of things that are making a comeback. And I wonder if, as you know we I feel that we're going through a turbulent period in Britain that we will do for some time whether or not you know whether or not you you supported Brexit in the first place it's clearly not a calm time and I think it's going to stay like that for a little while and I wonder if people will like something that is real and that is there to be held and that something is tangible in front of them and actually I wonder if The rise of technology and the rise of sort of the lack of real connections and the lack of real things in our lives is what made some people insecure and uh, wanting to vote for Brexit in the first place. I think a lot of this social change has left a lot of people behind. Mm.
2: Okay, uh, the West Bromwich Four um, look like they're going <laughs> to get away go no,
1: a- Not to be confused with the Bridgewater
2: Four, yeah. No, that's right. A- the West Bromwich Four look like they're going to get away with uh, borrowing that taxi in Barcelona. What's the real story behind it all that's next after Lemon Jelly? With quite a hefty sample taken from a track currently being used to sell kitchens in a UK TV yes. commercial. Um, that's the Splendid Lemon Jelly and a B-side from 2003 that was soft.
1: Nice. Hmm. I'm a big fan of Lemon Jelly, actually. Mm, both the food stuff yeah. and the band, they're both <laughs> excellent.
2: Yes, one one with ice cream and perhaps the other without it would be my ideal, I suppose. Um the, the life of a premiership footballer is often rather envied, uh, riches thrown upon you and adulation everywhere you go, but it can all fall to pieces in a second and never has that been more visible than this week with the announcement that Ryan Mason of Hull has had to retire as a footballer, he's only 26. Mm, I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, so he fractured his skull in an accidental clash of heads a year ago and now he's had to give up the game. And We, mm. we might think that such news might lead other footballers to grasp every every moment of their time in the a limelight behave responsibly uh responsibly and uh, with maturity let's say not so for at the very time Ryan Mason was announcing his retirement West Bromwich Albion paid for their players to have a four-day break in Barcelona it was arranged for them to get away for a few days try and bond together reboot their disastrous season that well it seems them rooted to the, the foot of the the premiership table uh, the, the hierarchy at West Brom set a reasonable curfew of midnight for these professional athletes mm. to be back in their hotel rooms to get a good night's Some sleep. Some
1: of them are really rather senior as
2: well. Well, for exactly. Four of the oldest senior players uh, decided to break that curfew, head to at McDonald's in the centre of Barcelona, and then they, inverted commas, borrowed a taxi and drove themselves back to their hotel. Now, if you or I or you, the listener, did this, I rather think we, we'd end up in jail. We'd probably find it had Serious repercussions back home Many employers would consider it a disciplinary offence Maybe even perhaps a sackable offence But mm. these four footballers apologised And the taxi driver decided not to press charges I wonder why um, The thing is West Brumwich Albion They're not going to sack these players Two of them were in the starting line-up A couple of days later against Southampton uh, The captain has been restored to his role Johnny Evans The reason they won't sack them Is these four players are worth About £50 million pounds in Transfer value so they're treated as assets not employees and Jules this is one of the downsides of top professional football that these aren't so much players as commodities and as such they know they can just about do whatever they want
1: and that is ultimately the melancholy truth isn't Mm. it really I'm particularly disappointed at Gareth Barry I must Mm. admit I thought I thought he had much more about him than that it is a pity um it's appalling that the club captain is allowed to behave in that way. I think it shows a complete lack of discipline. And actually interestingly, the fact that the players feel they can behave like that because they feel there are no consequences might explain why West Bromwich Albion are having such a poor season, frankly. Mm. There is no discipline, is there, by the sound of it. And actually I I wonder if it is linked to that. I'm not necessarily mm. saying that, you know, I will not behave the behaviour of most I ought not defend the behaviour of most modern footballers. But equally I i I wonder if it's indicative of a bad club culture rather than a football culture generally, if you see what I mean I know that we what we often talk about you know haircuts and headphones and all that kind of stuff, but I wonder if. You know, I I bet that quite a few teens possibly go on mid-season breaks and and maybe they pass off peacefully or or maybe they have better lawyers that keep (laughs) things quiet. I don't know. But um, I do remember that. Was it Leicester City that went to La Palma or somewhere like that? And there was nonsense involving a a fire extinguisher, more seriously, a woman that alleged assault, I think. Mm. So, or possibly, you know, possibly even more serious than that. So, Mm. I, you know. I think it's indicative I, I don't think it might I don't think it's that fair to tell all football teams with the same brush we know there are culturally problems with football but equally I wonder if it's a West Brom specific thing simply because like I say it's a lack of discipline I think at that mm. particular club and uh, that, how can I put this politely that Alan <laughs> Pardew trouble seems to follow him around doesn't it it's,
2: it's, it's, it's sad isn't it it does Does seem to indeed I, I think I read um, that on this trip in a Separate incident. He had his phone and wallet nicked um, in a bar in Barcelona. It does sound uh, like yeah. the
1: worst holiday ever, doesn't it? it really frankly, does. I mean, no. it, uh, uh, why, why would you want to go? Frankly, why would you want to go with the West Bromwich Why, do, why <laughs> would you want to be in that
2: squad? that <laughs> appalling. It doesn't. None of these players are, are, are really sort of household names, and I think it's very interesting that it it's often Harry s- is, I think, actually mm, perhaps. But it often seems that the higher you go the nicer and kinder people are. And as we know, yes. I've worked on a few movies and the one thing I've learned in general is the most pleasant people on the set are the biggest stars and the yes. rudest or less pleasant people are nearly always junior members of the set-up, fourth assistant or, director. Or people
1: or whose star is waning, possibly. Well,
2: maybe. So when I worked on Florence Foster Jenkins, the most patient and kindest person on the set every day was Meryl Streep, the yes. person with the most jumped-up view of themselves You know, was a sort of 20-year-old with a clipboard and a walkie-talkie. And this mm-hmm. translates to football. This is my point. Of course, we don't know these people personally, but the most modest, modest and um, genuine seeming people at the top clubs are often the star players. So, you know, Harry Kane, Eden Hazard, Petr Cech, Vincent Company all seem to be pleasant and thoughtful and especially humble when interviewed. Not something what one would jump to say about the West Brom Four. No,
1: quite, and i think I think that's very indicative, isn't it really mm. that it's what is it that people say it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice that's and actually, often you find that the people that are the nicest ironically. Sometimes nice guys do finish first because mm. people want to work for you, and actually i 've learnt this, and it was one of the most be- one of the best bits of advice actually i 've had great bits of advice from my parents mm. my dad 's bit of advice you know mm. don 't cross picket lines don 't hit anyone unless they truly deserve it, <laughs> and uh, don 't play cards with friends for money, which uh, was all advice that served mm. me very well my mum 's piece of advice um, uh, piece number one people that will talk about other people to you will talk about you to mm. other people that's always that 's always been a a, a fair tenet and the second thing and the important piece of advice here is she said you want people to want to work for you and she said if you're if you're nice to people and if you are pleasant all the time and helpful you will find yourself in a position where she said your aim in life should be to have someone in admin say to you I wouldn't usually do this but I will for you Mm. and it does happen sometimes and and you know I, I have a reputation within my firm as being a very nice person to work for and a very fair person to work for and actually I think you get much more done then and I wonder if they spent more time you know helping each other and concentrating on playing football they wouldn't necessarily be in that position and it is pretty shocking and interestingly I bet that that team will suffer now and it will continue to not do well because if I was another player in that team a younger player that kept my head down and was getting on Mm. with it probably not on quite so much money probably on enough money you know more than Mm. most of us but you know and I saw my club count captain absolutely taking the pee and with no consequences at all I'd probably try a bit less Mm. hard I would probably be a bit dispirited and I don't think it will do them any good in the long term
2: Nigella Lawson's in the soup Or, well, in the yoghurt, at least.
0: Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's next, after Tame Impala. single from their most recent album uh, albeit that was three years ago from their 2015 album Currents, that's Tame Parlor and Let It Happen uh, I
1: love that I really like Tame Parlor a great deal and I remember my mum my mum occasionally collides with Glastonbury coverage each year. And I remember she, she rang me up one year and she said, oh, put whatever it was on BBC Two or BBC Four. And she said, I really like this band that are on. And then I turned them on and said, that's Tame Impala. And she said, oh, I love this. Mm. Then she went, oh, hang on, did they do that Elephant song? And I think we might have played mm. it on the podcast before. And I said, yes, they did, because I, I played it to her. She turned on Jules Holland once and they were playing it. And mm. she said, I didn't think they made bands like that anymore. My mum very much cut her teeth in the late 60s and early 70s and really Likes that kind of driving, slightly mm. proggy rock. As a result, so uh, no, I'm a big fan of Tame Impala. I think they're brilliant.
2: In, I was inspired to play play them after you played uh, Mind Mischief on your radio show this week. It
1: Thank you very much indeed.
2: Them to, back to mind, Jules. You, you made a strategic error um, when you suggested our third topic this week because you asked <laughs> me if I had any food fads or dislikes, and I could fill a hundred podcasts with my semi-psychotic relationship um, <laughs> with food. Um, the yeah. Yes,
1: asking you to list your dislike. This is a fool's errand, isn't it? Really really? Is I should have a, seen this coming a r- mile
2: off. Really, the list is a very long one. I, I just can't eat cheese or fish in any form. Uh, this goes back to being force-fed the most vile concoctions of both at prep school and the, the psychological damage goes on. Um, I don't like eating any meat products that look like the animal they're derived from. So I get upset looking at a whole roast chicken or duck. It's, it's quite a barrier. Um, so, But on the positive side of what I do eat, I tend to... Get a fixation on something, say Mm. corn. I'll have corn spaghetti bolognese until I can't bear to eat it anymore, and then I'll move on to something else. You're a faddy eating. Very faddy.
1: faddy, You're a
2: faddy. faddy. I really need hypnosis or something. No wonder my personal relationships don't last. You can imagine. What's for dinner? Cheesy fish. (laughs) No! no. It's also.
1: It's chicken, but it's shaped like a house.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right, so it'll be all right. Um, Yeah, it's also all rather complicated in the world of catering at the moment here in the uk this week kfc restaurants have been shut hither and thither because rather awkwardly they've run out of chicken and um jamie oliver is closing several of his outlets around the uk uh, 12 of them with the challenges of operating costs and the changing needs of customers causing him problems also this week jules um a vegan brand endorsed by boy george and nigella lawson has had to recall all of its yogurt uh, products
1: yes it has and i did i i didn't know whether to laugh at this Oof. or not frankly so um it's called koyo hmm. i know uh, i know uh-huh. um popular with Nigella Lawson apparently mm. Um, she features it in her book Um, it was found to contain milk apparently it's it's withdrawn all five uh, Koyo was founded by a police officer while she was on maternity leave oh. just really it's the story that keeps on giving has mm. withdrawn all five flavours of its dairy free coconut milk yoghurt because it cl- declared what is described as undeclared milk I love the idea of that <laughs> being a, a, a criminal defence did a criminal defence going through an airport did you buy this milk yourself did you put it in this suitcase yourself um, um, apparently the FSA have said that you should take the yoghurt back to the shop. And actually, for all aside and laughing, at, I think the reason why I found this funny initially mm. is that veganism is something of a, it's become a bit of a fad, hasn't it? It's become mm. a bit of a cool thing. We had a veganuary, um, uh, or v-january, I think it's meant to be pronounced, um, earlier this year. And I, one of my best friends has been vegan since 1992. So sure. she, as I said, she is a true hipster in that she genuinely was <laughs> vegan before it was cool. about 25 years. Mm. before it was called she's been a vegan since she was about eight and i hugely admire her for it and actually when i went to stay with her recently i ate really well she's a brilliant cook she cooks really lovely vegetable soups and stews and things and you know i felt really good for eating that kind of diet actually it was brilliant mm. but um but i uh, so so uh, part of me finds it a bit faddy and a bit you know sort of frustrating that you know the same people that are you know I find that very annoying. But at the same time, this article does make the point that if you are, if you have an allergy to dairy, which lots of people genuinely do, and again, mm. allergies are quite fatty, but some people genuinely do have allergies to dairy. Um, if you do have that, then obviously this milk will harm you when it shouldn't do. So that is quite serious. But I am... There's, uh, the restaurant business is really interesting, I think, and and there was a particularly scorching review by Grace Dent in the uh, the Guardian food critic in the Guardian this week about um, her unhappiness with a vegan restaurant and how that she feels that the chains are getting in on it now and they're sort of on the make and she just ate dreadful food and had <laughs> terrible service and was really it's worth reading actually. I'll mm. try and give you the link to the tweet mm. afterwards because it is really. Really furious and righteously so, actually, and I and I agree with her in that there are some vegan restaurants that have been going for years and years that are real labours of love. She points out some regionally, and it's so frustrating that you get these kind of bandwagon type Mm. things. So whilst part, so I am trying to keep the allergy thing in mind when laughing at vegans and then on vegan yogurt and trying not to be sort of unkind. But the the wider point you make about the restaurant business, Mm. there was a really good article in the Guardian, again in the Guardian this week about. The problems of Jamie Oliver, the problems of Byron, the problems Mm. of lots of these kind of, you know... Strada, Pretzel, I believe they're all... yeah. yeah, all of those kind of places. But equally... Someone pointed out in this article, you can blame financial conditions as much as you like. The restaurant business became the latest, um, latest shell for the hedge fund industry about five or six mm. years ago, and it just, it just became about greed more than anything else. And people constantly opening And Also, they're not very good. No. I've I'd, 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 I'd been to Z's and Pretzels before, and the the highest I would rate them is is good. I wouldn't rate them any higher than that. And good is, you know, and and they haven't always been good. They've often been mediocre or not very good at all. And they're not particularly. They look like the chains they are. The Pizza Express Hastings is Mm. nice because the staff there are very nice. Mm. So I would like to go out my way to praise that. But it's very, you know, it's 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 it's, a bland experience. I think it is, and and I I call it fast food
2: with a knife and fork.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And And it's in a way, it's nice that. Not nice, obviously, for the people mm. that lose their jobs, but I'm, I'm slightly reassured that those places are failing mm. because... I do think, and there was a huge outcry recently, I think Marina McLaughlin, Mm. I think it's pronounced, or Loughlin, I think, Mm. that used to be the Guardian food critic, has moved over to the Times, and I think in a slightly look-at-me type move, although I do rate her writing a lot, um, reviewed a new Weatherspoons for her Mm. first week, and was scathing about it and caused a massive row online. And she made the point, and actually I think she's slightly wrong about Weatherspoons, but Mm. she made the point that... thought the food was very poor mm. and actually you could go to someone like a chip shop and buy much better food and that cheap food doesn't necessarily have to mean bad food. Mm. And in a way, I am frustrated that lots of people that work very hard and not very high incomes go to places like Zizis and stuff like that and prezzos and, and all those mm. kind of chain type restaurants. And i do see Marie, marina's point here i feel the same as her in that i am frustrated because these places are not very good and i think they should be better for people that are treating them for working people that can't afford to go to you know i won't say the ivy and, and <laughs> you pulled me up on yeah. that before but you know more pretentious yeah. more expensive high-end restaurants um people that can't afford to do that I want them to go out and have a really nice, affordable night out, and not not to be exploited. And I feel like a lot of these places are exploiting them, really. And I do feel that vegan places are the same. And that again, you know, I'm I'm I feel sorry for vegans that their kind of ethical, that their genuinely admirable ethical kind of life has been hijacked by stupid hipsters again, really. So so the <laughs> the coconut milk story, whilst initially. Crue- cruelly funny did actually make me think a bit deeper about this
2: i do feel rather sorry for the owners of the this vegan company koyo they as you said they're a woman and her husband set up uh, they, they're in kent um, the, one, the of course the one single thing you want to ensure if you're running a vegan food brand is that no animal extracts enter your product and as you say that's exactly what did happen here but as they're a small company i really hope it doesn't have a long uh, impact, long-term impact on them. Because, you know, starting up a company from scratch um, like that must be a, real, it's a really hard work and, you know, very yeah. uh, time-consuming. And they put a lot yeah, of I effort see. in. And, th- you know, if this destroys them, it would be awful. But meanwhile, I must say, I'll carry on with my peculiar food likes and dislikes, <laughs> rather likes and hates. Because, if I don't like a food, then I really don't like it. But do you mm. know what? I really long for the day, uh, and this will, I'm sure this will send you know, shivers of horror through people, but mm. I long for the day when we're all just given sachets of chemicals that give us all the nutrients we, we need as a sort of sci-fi solution to my food faddiness. That would be no. my ultimate solution.
1: I, well, I, what can I say? I, I hope and pray <laughs> for a solution
2: for you, Jules, Assuming you're not opening a chain of Super Jewels restaurants
0: <laughs> Indeed, uh, this yeah.
2: week, where might we find you? I know many people look forward to this moment in the podcast when <laughs> we find out where you're going to be over the next seven days.
1: Absolutely, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that some of some of our correspondents on oh. Twitter that our format oh. really has hit oh. home. I am. I am delighted oh. that we have such a strong format. Oh. We could get. You know, we could get Mary Belly, Belly Mary and uh, Noel Fielding in to do this couldn't we it would still work the format <laughs> exactly um, I will be doing New Wonderland on Wednesday evening as per this week so dot uh, BarricadeRadio.com from 8 until 10pm um, I have a Mixcloud page as well Juliet L. Harris and you can find old shows on there um, I will be um, in two places DJing this coming Saturday wow. I'm not sure when we're next going to record mm. so I'll trail this in advance yeah. so this uh, coming next coming Saturday so that will be Saturday the 3rd of March um, a friend of mine called Aid, who is part of the local DJ team and sound system, brilliantly called the Balearic Assassins of Love, <laughs> is having an, an all-day 50th birthday party, which is going from 12 until 12 at the wow. Royal Standard in Hastings, and he has got 24 DJs, which he is wow. calling an all-star lineup, to do half an hour sets each. Wow. So I will be on from 2 until 2.30 in the afternoon, no idea what I'm going to play yet, mm. and then from 8 until 11 in the evening, I will be at the Dragon Bar in Hastings Old Town, which, frustratingly, is about three minutes away yet I have to go home and oh, come back. So yeah. that is a bit of a, you know, sucks to be me, man. But, uh, yeah, if you want to <laughs> float about and see me there, then it would be lovely
2: to see. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to Tip Top executive producer Rona.
1: Absolutely. It's a hat tipped once again.
2: A closing track is from an album that's often passed over when we look at uh, this band's amazing canon of work. But I know you hold this you hold this album in um, highest angels.
1: Well I do in a weird mm. way. It's the White Album and mm. me and my friends always do a make your own one C D White album competition. Mm. We must do that again soon mm. where, you know, you could probably squeeze one really, really good mm. album out of the White Album. I know that it is too long and there is lots of filler. Mm. But I do think there's some really good moments on it and I just found myself singing this earlier on this week and often is the way. I think it's a it's a George Harrison number, I believe, it is. isn't it? Long, yes, it long, is. long and, and yes. his his songs are. I mean, it's always. I always think it's a great shame that George Harrison would be the principal songwriter in any other band, wouldn't mm. he? Really, I always have some sympathy that he was allowed one or two an album, and yes. he was. So you know, you know, obviously, I'm not. I'm not saying that was wrong, but I do. I do feel sorry for him because he he was a brilliant, brilliant songwriter, and his songs. They always kind of wheedle their way into me. They always kind of gradually thread their way in. And before I know where I am, they, they are, you know, my favourites and they're they're living with me really. So I do I do adore this. This is George Harrison's uh version well no sorry, not George Harrison's version, George Harrison penned a uh, song for the Beatles and this is long, long, long. have been listening to a DACA media production.